be turning to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Um, if you do the Gospels, then you get Acts and Corinthians and Romans, and then you'll find Galatians, and, uh, or even Romans and Corinthians, and then you'll find Galatians. Um, and uh, uh, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the last few verses of chapter 2. Um, we've been working through uh, the second half of chapter 2. Um, uh, over the last few weeks, I just want to bring a bit of a summary, a bit of a conclusion to those last few weeks, just to try and hopefully uh, bring some things together. Uh, their comments about the gospel, really, the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at what is the gospel, the grace of God, and uh, 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 just sort of going back over the last few weeks, uh, first of all, we covered how the gospel is to affect and define our whole lives, that actually... Uh, its message is totally comprehensive, it's totally up-to-date, it has things to say about the environment, it has things to say about corporate greed, it has things to say about sexuality, it has things to say about every aspect of the world around us and our lives. It's a comprehensive gospel, the message of the gospel is full, and yet it is still very personal. Um, we then uh, looked on and uh, saw from a different perspective how God has no favorites. God has no favorites. That he loves each and every one of us in exactly the same way. And that is such an important, powerful message. Because I think too often in the Christian world we can think, oh, well, that person's loved by God more because of what they do, because of the profile they hold, because of a whole load of different bizarre reasons, really. And the reality is we are loved by Almighty God in exactly the same way. Whether you've been a believer, well, let's say you came a believer today, or whether you've been a believer for somebody like Flory, who's known Jesus for, I'm not quite sure how long, 60 plus years, I guess, 70 years, something like that. Yeah, anyway, something like that. Um, you know, actually, God loves us exactly the same. And if you're not even yet a believer, he loves you the same way. He has no favorites. His love is available to each and every one of us. It is unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't find, uh, get it. You can't uh, persuade God to love you more because of what you do or how you live or anything else. Actually, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game changer. It's such an important perspective to have. It's a game changer for how we live. And then last time, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at how we're justified. That is how we're declared righteous by Almighty God through faith in Jesus. That actually, it's not the law, it's not our works, it's not our deeds, it's not how, how much we do or how well we do it or anything else. That actually, the gospel is a gift of grace to us. That we are made right before God purely because of the grace of God because of God's unconditional love uh, expressed in Christ Jesus to us. And so by putting faith into Jesus, that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to restore relationship between us and Almighty God, because it was sufficient to deal with all of our sin and shame and filth and dirt, which gets in the way of a relationship with Almighty God, that actually that is sufficient. That is totally Sufficient, and we are declared righteous by God because of the great because of faith in Jesus and the grace of God. 
How wonderful that is. The message of the grace of God is such an important message. Because too often we live in a well, we do, we live in a world which is nothing about grace. It doesn't understand grace. And a world which is so conditional and says, well, if you do this, that, and the other, we'll approve of you. If, 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 yeah, whether it's what you wear or what you eat or who you talk to or the things you achieve or whatever it may well be, who you know, all, those, all that stuff, that stuff and nonsense. And it is stuff and nonsense because we are saved by the grace of God who has no favorites. And we're brought into his loving family by him. And that is so precious. And we can't do anything more about it other than by putting our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We can do nothing more about it. And we all get to benefit in the same way. And that is, that is part of the message of the gospel. So that's where we've been. Now we're going to continue on in Galatians 2 because Paul's got some more comments to make. Not surprising, Paul has lots of comments to make. So um, verse 17 if, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wonderful truth. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ, he died for nothing. Father, we ask that the truth of your gospel would penetrate deeply into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds. Father, we pray that it would yield great fruit, that we more and more would understand and live out of the truth of the grace of God in each of our lives. I pray that for each of my friends here in this room. Help us, Lord. Help us to get hold of your grace. Help us to live out the grace of God in our lives, knowing that you love us, you cherish us, but you also you call us to die to ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, uh, interesting passage. Um, uh, you may, if you're taking notes, wonder what my title is. Uh, well, really, it's this. It's, uh, if you want one word title, it's death. Nice positive message for a Sunday morning, isn't it? Death. If you want a three-word title, it's dying to yourself. That's what this passage is about. It's about dying to ourselves. Let's, let's just try and uh, chew on it a li little bit. Uh, I'm not really going to pick up on verses 17 and 18. Uh, Paul is just developing an argument there. That's fine. You can read it, and it, I think it makes sense. But verse 19, Paul uses the word for. F-O-R, for. In other words, therefore. And when Paul uses that sort of language, what he's doing is he's drawing a whole load of threads together. And, he, and what you know that's coming next is sort of pure whew, truth. And so when, I, yeah, when you read something like therefore or but or, or for like this, it's always good just to sort of antennae go up and, oh, I need to take note. What, where, where's he going? What's he going to say now? And he 
Wow, does he launch into something which is so powerful. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. Hang on, what sort of riddle is that? Through the law, I died to the law. Let's not worry too much at the moment. So I might live for God. So he's clearly not died, he's going to live for God. And he goes on. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, if you're really old like me, and if you've been around Christian circles for a long time, you actually may remember this as a song. I think it was written in about 1984 or 85. I didn't manage to find it. I think it was written by a man called Dave Fellingham. I remember singing it at the Bible week just after I became a Christian. And I was in my late teens, and there was a song based around this passage of Scripture. You will be relieved to hear I'm not planning on singing it to you today. Lots of nods and agreement on that one. Very wise. But it's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful truth of the gospel here. And the essence of it is, friends, we need to die. Actually, we need to die to ourselves. We need to recognize that we've got nothing of worth or value in us which brings any merit before the throne of God, before Almighty God. It's time to die. It's time to die to ourselves. Uh, reality is, when we baptize people, that's exactly what we're symbolizing. As we baptize people, as they get lowered into a watery grave, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I've died to myself. And out of compassion, we raise them up out of that watery grave and they come back to live a new life. That's, that's the, the symbolism of baptism. It is a, a, a wonderful, powerful thing. It's a powerful moment of encounter with God. It's sort of like nailing your colors to the master and saying, wow, this is me. I've died. I've died. I'm dead. It's a, it's a celebration. It's the most amazingly positive funeral you ever go to a baptism. It's just incredible. But it's about death. The reality, though, is each and every one of us, if we're believers in Christ... Whether we have been baptized or not, and if you haven't, I would want to urge you, please, if you are a believer in Christ, get baptized. It's an important step in the journey of faith. The reality, though, is for each and every one of us, as we come to that place of faith in Christ, we're called to die. We're called to die to ourselves, to be crucified in Christ. That's what he's talking about. When he talks about being crucified in Christ, he's talking about us dying giving up our rights, our uh, desires, our hopes, our dreams, and saying, actually, God, I'm dying to you. I'm saying, hey, God, I want to live for you instead. And as God in his mercy hears that, he brings us back to life. He gives us his spirit. He puts his spirit in us. We had a wonderful time uh, Alpha Holy Spirit Day yesterday just to say thank you to those of you who prayed for that. It was a wonderful day of encounter for people. But he gives us his spirit, puts his spirit in us, breathes new life and energy into us. Wow. And so I just want to ask a really simple question today. It is so profoundly simple and yet, sorry, it's so simple and yet profoundly challenging. How are you doing in dying to yourself? Has yourself died? Because really that's where Paul's heading. That's where he's heading in his concluding comments here. He's saying, you know, it's friends, come on, we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to ourselves. And the reality is, there are moments where we do that, and there are moments where we allow ourselves, the old me, 
take precedence again, to be almost resurrected again. Because we have a battle. We live in a battle. We live in a fallen world where the temptation to sin, the temptation to put myself first, the temptation to uh, live under try, uh, trying to please God and trying to uh, uh, earn his favor, all those things, the temptation's there all the time. We live with that temptation. And sometimes we will succumb to it and sometimes we won't. Do you know what, though? We have a God, to quote Florrie from this morning, who knows us well. That was a wonderful phrase, Florrie, thank you. Absolutely wonderful phrase. As she sits here, she says, he knows me well. He knows my needs. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows me well. We worship a God who knows us well. If you don't yet know him, he knows you well. That is the reality of the situation. You may say, well, how does he know me? I don't know him yet. He knows you. He knows what's been going on in your life. He knows the battles you face. He knows the challenges. He knows your worries and anxieties. He knows your cares. Because he's a good God. A loving, heavenly Father. One who is not limited by time or space. There are some very big words we use to describe how great he is. Omniscient, omnipresent, and all sorts of other things. Fundamentally, what it means is he knows you well. He doesn't just know you well. He cares for you well. He knows your greatest needs and your greatest hopes and your greatest ambitions and dreams. And he has a plan which we can walk in or we can choose not to walk in. He knows you well. He can provide. He will provide. He cares. He wants to wrap you in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, even today. So, three hopefully very simple points about dying to ourselves. Dying to ourselves means that Christ lives in us. That's the first one. Christ lives in us. Verse 20. It's very simple, really. As we die to ourselves, Christ comes and lives in us. Do you know Christ living in you? Maybe today you're wondering about that, you're thinking about it. Do you know it yet? I want to urge you, if you don't yet know Christ living in you, if you don't yet know that he is your Lord and Saviour, the one who's died for you, the one who's paid the price for your sin and shame, and the one who's restored you to Almighty God, that you can live in the love of God for the rest of your life, totally accepted, totally loved, unconditionally. If you don't yet know that, today's a great day to do that. Today's a great day to make that decision. But for many of us, we made that decision, perhaps like Flory, decades ago. How are you doing in allowing him to live in you? The reality is often we can get so busy with life that life just crowds out everything else. And very soon, if we aren't careful, we find, well, yeah, Jesus is living in me. I know he's living in me. I know I'm loved by God, but it's just that little bit of my life. And we can compromise, and we can make room for other things, other things we worship, other things that take uh, priority in our life. Distractions, worries, 
concerns, things we think, oh, I've got to look after that. I don't know whether I can trust God with that. And yet our loving Heavenly Father says, no, you can trust me over this. You can let go of that. How are we doing? How are we doing with Christ living in us? Perhaps you want to reflect on that. Uh, I, I, I hope as we come back into a time of worship fairly soon, uh, that will be one of the things perhaps we'll find we are reflecting on and chewing on, just individually. The second thing, though, is when we die to ourselves, that means we need to die to trying to impress God or impress anybody else. We need to die to the law. We need to say, actually, if I'm going to come into Christ, if I'm going to be crucified in Christ, I need to die to trying to impress, trying to persuade God. I need to die to deeds and things, thinking that they're going to get me God's favor or love anymore. It's not that we don't do things, but we do it out of relationship, not out of a desire to impress, to gain. No, no, when we die to ourselves, we're saying, actually, Christ, you're sufficient. You're sufficient. I can know the unconditional love of God. You're sufficient. I don't need anything else. Dying self frees us. It frees us from law. It frees us from works. It frees us from... Uh, independence and individualism and so many other things like that, all of the things which are about me trying to earn my, uh, the favor of God, trying to impress God, or even trying to impress others. When we die to ourselves, we say, hey, <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm dead. But Christ in me, that's a different matter. I've got everything. Everything I need. Everything I need is found in Christ. Thirdly, if we're going to die to ourselves, we need to welcome grace. We need to welcome the grace of God into our lives. Not set it aside, not go, uh, uh, oh, well, it's an optional extra, this grace thing. I'm not sure I really get it. It's an optional extra. No, no, no. At the core of dying to self is the grace of God, which says you are loved and cherished and delighted in by Almighty God and welcomed into his family, not because we've done anything, not because we're worth anything, but because he chooses to love us. He chooses to lavish his grace on us in Christ Jesus. How precious that is, friends. How amazingly precious and wonderful that is. Do you know what? I think some of us today need a fresh infusion of the grace of God. As we were in, in, during our time of worship, I, I can't remember, somebody was saying something, I, I, I just felt God just touched me and Give me a picture of an old can I keep in my garage. It's an aerosol can. And uh, I think if I remember correctly, on the label it says something like lubrication release. It was a product made a long, long time ago. It probably doesn't even exist any longer. It's probably got chemicals in it which have been banned by the Geneva Convention or whatever and all that sort of stuff. But I tell you what, if I ever have a rusty old bolt which I need to free up, I don't know, perhaps on the lawnmower or something like that. And you, know, you, you use all the normal methods and you sort of sweat over it for a few minutes and you get mole grips out and spanners out and all that sort of stuff. You perhaps try tapping it with a hammer to see if that breaks the, the rust joint and nothing happens. And then, I, then in the back of my mind, I think, oh, I think I've got a can of this stuff somewhere. It's sort of like WD-40 on steroids. I don't know what's in it. I really don't. You get, you get that analogy, don't you? And you 
You just put a little spray on it. And do you know what? It's so valuable to me. I don't put too much on because it's like, I don't, know, I don't think I can ever replace this can. <laughs> just put a little bit on. And then you go away and you make yourself a drink. And you have to be patient for a time. And you come back. And it's like, what on earth happened? Suddenly, this oil has penetrated and somehow it's done its business, whatever that is. And you just, oh, it's undone. It's undone. It just freely flows. It's not hard work any longer at all. And such is the grace of God in our lives. We can sweat. We can try to impress God. We can try to justify ourselves. We can try harder and harder and harder and put so much effort in trying to earn the love of God. And it doesn't work. But one drop of His Holy Spirit bringing the grace of God into our lives. Just one drop. You don't need much. Albeit there's an abundance there. One drop is transformational. The grace of God is transformational. It brings freedom. It brings liberty. It lubricates. It brings life. It allows life to continue. You see, grace is so important. Can I just talk about briefly, and then we're going to pray and come back to worship, things which stop grace. Because the grace of God is so important. You know, grace, some of the things which sort of um, the world uses instead of grace, it uses guilt. That is, I've done something wrong. I've failed. Guilt needs breaking. The grace of God breaks guilt. It shatters guilt. Because guilt is to do with condemnation. Guilt is to do with Actually, Satan. It's Satan who condemns. If you feel squashed today, if you feel guilty today, know the grace of God is sufficient for whatever you have done. It's totally sufficient. There isn't, uh, there isn't anything you can do about it, but the grace of God is sufficient. Totally sufficient. It penetrates deep into our lives and brings freedom. The grace of God is that powerful. The unconditional love of God is that powerful. It breaks guilt. What that happens instead, though, is the Spirit sometimes will bring conviction. Let's just be aware of that. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says you're rubbish, you're no good. It squashes, it pushes down, it makes us feel rubbish. Conviction, which is a work of the Spirit, says there's grace available. Yes, you've got it wrong. But there's grace available. The wonderful grace of God is freely available today. Friends, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, not for me, it's a lie. That is a lie. The grace of God is available to each and every one of us, without exception in this room today. You may say, Andrew, how on earth can you be so confident? I'm confident because the Word of God tells us that. It's not me making it up. If it was me making it up, I would tell you, forget it. But it's not. It's the Word of God tells us the grace of God is available to one and each and all and is sufficient to deal with all guilt. 
Do you know, another word which comes along with guilt so often is this. It's shame. And actually, you know, shame is really the outflowing of guilt, isn't it? Where we go from, I've done something wrong, to I am wrong. I am broken. I am insufficient. I am whatever word you want to use to describe yourself. It's that sense of feeling, isn't it, of if only you knew what went on inside me, you would not like me. You would reject me. You would hate me. And the reality is, God actually does know all of those things. Whether you like it or not, he does. He's all-sufficient. He's all-knowing. And he doesn't condemn us. He says, yeah, I know what you're like. That's okay. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for all of those things you feel shame over. Absolutely everything. That behavior, that moment, that thing which went wrong this week, my grace is sufficient for it. You don't need to feel uh, guilt. You don't need to feel shame. You don't need to feel condemned. Step into the grace of God. Step into the grace of God. Choose the grace of God. Walk in the grace of God. And you can leave that behind today. And the Father wants to break shame in this place today. Shame is an awful thing because it isolates us. It alienates us. It makes us think, well, I don't be real because if I'm real, they'll find out that. <laughs> Let me just move in front of it so you can't see it. No, you don't want to find out that. I don't want you to find out about that about me. And the grace of God says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven and shame is dealt with. Shame is dealt with. Because guilt is dealt with and condemnation is dealt with all at the cross because the grace of God is sufficient. And in so doing, it deals with fear. Because so often with guilt and shame comes fear. It is that fear of being found out, that fear of being exposed, that fear of rejection, that fear of not being good enough, of not making the grade, of not uh, being the right standard. And fear comes out, becomes so all-consuming, fear of rejection, fear of disapproval. And the reality is, in Christ, we are totally accepted. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be fearful of being punished. When we're in Christ, punishment's dealt with. Jesus did all that at the cross. We're free. We're free. Such is the grace of God. You see, grace is all changing. It's life changing. It deals with guilt. It deals with shame. It deals with fear. We don't need to live under fear any longer. There's one other word that I just want to mention which grace speaks powerfully into, and it's this. It's pride. See, if we really get hold of the grace of God, we also find a humility which says, literally, here but for the grace of God go I. Not some casual phrase so sometimes you hear people use, but no, literally, the grace of God is all that enables me to stand where I stand today. The grace of God is all-sufficient I've got nothing other than the grace of God which leads me to faith in Jesus and deals with all my sin and my shame. 
So I've got nothing to be proud about apart from the grace of God, which is nothing to do with me and all to do with him. And that's why I want to worship him. That's why I want to delight myself in him. But it also deals with lack of worth. When we feel <laughs> we've got no worth, maybe it's not about pride, it's I've got nothing. It deals with that as well because actually we get lifted up by the grace of God and God says you've got everything. But it's all wrapped up in him. It's not wrapped up in ourselves. It's not wrapped up in what we achieve. And so friends, dying to self is something I want to encourage us to do. Today, I believe, needs to be a day where death happens. Please don't misquote me on that one. This is a death of ourselves, where we lay down our bodies and say, I have been crucified. We, we join in with Paul and we say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ, Christ, he lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I could just stop there, but it would be remiss of me not to read verse 21 to you because this is what some of us are doing. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's that first phrase though. Don't set aside the grace of God. Today the grace of God is available for each one of us. And it is each and every day. Live in the grace of God. Don't set it aside. Don't go, oh, well, I've got to work this out. I've got to, I've got to justify myself. I've got to find a solution. I've got to respond out of fear or shame or guilt. No, no, no. no. Don't set aside the grace of God. It's easy to do. That's why he says, don't do it. Hear Paul's injunction. Don't do it. It's easy to do. Don't do it. Don't set aside the grace of God. But live in it. Live in it and live free from the law. Live free from guilt. Live free from shame. Live free from works. Live free from trying to justify yourself. Live free from fear. Live free from pride. Live free from poor self-worth. Live in the grace of God. Crucified in Christ. Covered by his love covered by his amazing grace. Can we, uh, band, could we have you back, please? That would be great. We're going to go into a time of worship now.